0: I'm going to talk to you on something a little bit different in church called the second mile or the Rebecca principle. Go in the second mile. What would you say is the secret of long life? Well, a recent survey discovered that it does help if you come from a long line of healthy people, genetic influence. It also helps to take care of yourself, eat, right, and exercise. But the number one reason people live longer is career satisfaction when people enjoy what they're doing take a look Monday when you drive to work at the car next to you and you'll find out real quick if they enjoy what they're doing the key reason for living a long life is enjoying your and what you are called to do I want to tell you right now if you hate what you're doing you are not doing what God made you to do that is not possible see I wonder if long life is enjoying your career. How many of you would say without raising your hand, Rick I don't think I'm going to live very long. (laughs) I might be gone before the service is over. (laughs) See I personally think the secret to career fulfillment is finding something you like to do so much you'd gladly do it for nothing. And then learning to do it so well people are happy to pay you to do it. I believe that. I've always enjoyed what I do and I've been with people who don't. Now, if the Lord will help me this morning in the time that we have, I want to give you a life-changing principle that'll help you in your career, your calling in life, help you in your relationship with people, and it'll help you live big in every area of your life. You may not like it, but it's Bible, okay? So cut me a little bit of slack there. A year or two ago, Business Week magazine listed the 10 toughest jobs, and they were in this order. Number one, an inner-city high school teacher second, a police officer, third, a miner, like an underground miner, four, air traffic controller, five, a medical intern, six, a stockbroker, seven was a journalist, eight, people who work in customer service complaint areas, nine was a waitress. That was a bit shocking to me, but I guess people don't tip. You cheapskate, call yourself a Christian and Leave a track on a table, they ought to burn you in effigy. Leave a quarter tip or something and be embarrassed, a waitress, or, and demand everything, and then leave her nothing. Come on, please don't tell them you're tell them you're a Buddhist. <laughs> Number 10 was the secretary. I was a bit surprised they didn't include the ones who have to stay home, take care of the children some of you big career-oriented CEOs, one hour of that, and you'll be praying, oh, God, let me go back to work. Come on. I heard a cute story about a first-grade teacher, and one of her students kept noticing her daddy kept coming home every night with work. So one night she says, Daddy, why do you come home every night and bring your work with you? He said, well, sweetheart, I've got so much work to do, I can't get it all done at the office, so I have to bring it home. She said, well, Daddy, why don't they just put you back in a slower group? like school. Might not be a bad idea. Genesis 24. Here's a wonderful story. It's very simple, but profound in its implications. Abraham's a very old man now. His wife, Sarah, has died. His son, Isaac, is about 40 years of age and a bachelor. And in Bible days, it was the duty of the parents to select the mate for the child. Sandy said, I wish we could do that. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be a bad idea, huh, parents? Yeah, the kids are a little bit worried, but... If you had a relatively sane mother and dad, it wouldn't be quite so bad. Anyway, we don't get that privilege, so they did. So Abraham tells his servant, Eliezer, to go back to his homeland among his people and select a mate for his son, Isaac. He didn't want him to be unequally yoked. Now, in the old days, I used to do a lot of Bible typology. God uses natural things to symbolize spiritual truths. And he called the Old Testament the natural. You know, there was literal rocks and literal rivers and literal temples. And then in the New Testament, it becomes spiritual. You are the temple of God and etc. But Abraham is a type of God the Father. He's wealthy. He's a father of many nations, um, a covenant man, friend of God. And then he has a son, Isaac who he got in his old age. He was 100 years of age, so God had to supernaturally, by the power of God, conceive this child who was named before his birth and offered by the Father just like the Lord Jesus conceived supernaturally, named before his birth, and was offered literally by his Father. And the servant Eliezer is a type of the Holy Spirit who has all the Father's goods in his hands and he sent as an agent to distribute it to his bride-to-be. And to bring that bride to Isaac for a marriage. So the Holy Spirit is on that job duty today. So when he goes to select a bride, what's God looking for when he chooses a bride for his son? So we're going to look at this natural illustration to find out it ain't got nothing to do with hair buns or being ugly. In fact, she's a beautiful woman, as you'll see here in our story. Hello. You're going to be very upset because we measure each other based on a list of rules, what you don't do, what you have on or don't have on, a tattoo, how ugly you can look and call it holy. We measure in our Christian culture and it isn't even biblical. Now I want to show you what God looks for and he's got none of that in this package when he's looking for a bride for his son Isaac. It can be encouraging and it can be extremely depressing depending on where you're living right now. Genesis 24, picking it up in about verse 9, so the servant took a solemn oath. He would follow Abraham's instructions. He loaded 10 of the camels with gifts and set out taking with him the best of everything his master owned. And he went to the village where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. There the servant made the camels kneel down beside a well outside the village. It was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. This was the custom of the day. Every evening, the women went out to draw water and take it back to the house. They also went out in the morning. Verse 12, he said, O Lord, God of my master, give me success and show kindness to my master Abraham. Help me to accomplish the purpose of my journey. I'm here now by this well, and young women of the village are all coming out to draw water. And answer this request, help me. I will ask one of them for a drink of water if she says yes certainly and i will water your camels also let her be the one you've appointed as isaac's wife by this i will know that you have shown kindness to my master as he was praying a young woman named Rebekah arrived with a water jug on her shoulder her father was bethuel who was the son of abraham's brother nahor and his wife milca Now, Rebecca was very beautiful, and she was a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the well, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant asked, please give me a drink. And she said in verse 18, certainly, sir. Now, let me stop just a second. That was the custom of the culture. A stranger at a well could ask for a drink of water, and everybody would give them a drink of water. It would be no different than on Sunday morning, our greeter saying, good morning. God bless you. We're very happy to see you today. It would be a culture, a custom. Everybody did it. It's not second mile, second effort, nothing. It's just the courtesy we do. So getting the drink of water was something all the girls would do. Certainly, she said, and she quickly lowered the jug for him to drink. Verse 19, when he had finished, she says, by the way, I'll simply inconvenience myself for the next two hours and water your camels until they have had enough so she quickly emptied the jug into the watering trough and ran down to the well again she kept carrying water to the camels until they had finished drinking the servant watched her in silence wondering whether or not this was the one the lord intended him to meet when the camels had finished drinking he gave her a gold ring for her nose a rolex for her wrist, etc. I'll stop right there. Look in verse 19. I want to call your attention to this, the fact that Rebecca was willing to go the second mile. Here she not only gives the stranger a drink of water, which was the normal custom, but she voluntarily of her own free will, not being asked, and willingly watered all ten camels. Understand, these suckers hold 40 gallons of water each. Go down to the zoo and see how much water a camel can hold. And these suckers are bone-dry because they've come 500 miles from Mesopotamia, and that red light is flashing on the dashboard, empty, empty, empty. And she's got 10 of these beasts looking at her. And you could just imagine that that wasn't an exciting sight, and she's a girl raised in the country. She knows what these beasts are going to take, and she says, I will water your camels also. Now, that's about two hours' worth of work. She hasn't got a water hose. She's got a pitcher. And that means she's got to lower it in a well, pull it up, and keep doing this till these guys are filled. You could run some mascara doing that. You could tear a pair of pantyhose doing that. And I bet you nobody else in the neighborhood ain't my job. You water them camels yourself. We don't even know you. I'm not doing that. You could just hear the culture screaming. Isn't it interesting that the bride for Isaac, a type of the bride of Christ, had to be industrious, sacrificial, willing, and willing to go the second mile. And that's the one. He didn't take the old ugly, mean old black widow, spider temperament, don't do lists of rules and regulations and no makeup and big old hair bun and not knowing Jesus and the new covenant loosed us from all bondage. We don't have to live under that nonsense. Judgmental towards other people. He wasn't looking for her. He's looking for somebody outside of the Christian culture that we judge people acceptable or unacceptable by. By a work ethic. A work standard of a person willing to inconvenience themselves at no basic reward for it. And he said, that's a girl I want. Right there. Now that's what we got to train our children to do, and that's what we have to become if we want to have influence in the world. Your track is not going to give you influence. Your bumper sticker doesn't change anybody's heart. It messes up a good paint job on a car. It is not the way we get influence. (laughs) I want to show you something different here called going the second mile. And it's that phrase in verse 19, and your camels also I want to focus on. Current American workplace philosophy says I'm going to do the least expected of me, and I'm going to try to get the most for it. It's called, Minimum Effort for Maximum Return. Time Magazine had a cover story a few years back that said, America the inefficient, or why nothing seems to work anymore in the United States. Let me read a paragraph. For many years, America was noted around the world for its efficiency and quality of products, honesty, and the fact that men prided themselves on what they made. In the last few years, that's changed. There's a feeling all over the world now that our country has lost this important characteristic. There have been complaints coming from everywhere that we cannot be trusted, that we do not do our work well, and we are coming to be known as America the inefficient and America the deceptive. If you were a Christian CEO and your research engineer showed that you had positioned the gas tank so it would explode, Would you sit down with your actuaries and lawyers and figure out what you figure the percentage of lawsuits will be and total cost versus a recall? See, a Christian man wouldn't figure it that way. He'd say, we've got an unsafe product. Recall it. That's how you would do it. That's a whole different philosophy today. I'm not impressed by his Bible. I'm not impressed by his hairstyle. I'm not impressed by a list of do's and don'ts. I'm impressed for his integrity, his ethics, and the fact that he is not going to cheat me any more than he wants to be cheated. So you're looking at me strange. I'd hate for you to be the CEO for Firestone. <laughs> not my fault. Whose fault is it? I got a recall notice on our suburban, honey, yesterday. I'll show you why in just a second. I read on an airplane recently... THAT THE AMERICAN CAR HAS A BUILT-IN PRICE OF 25% TO COVER CALLBACK DEFECTS. AND I DON'T KNOW IF THAT'S TRUE, BUT I READ THAT. SO WE PAY 25% MORE FOR AN AMERICAN CAR BECAUSE WORKERS DIDN'T CARE ENOUGH TO MAKE IT RIGHT ON THE PRODUCTION LINE. NOW, IF YOU WORK FOR A CAR COMPANY IN HERE AND YOU'RE JUST FIXING THEM OR SELLING THEM, WE'RE NOT BLAMING YOU, YOU DIDN'T MAKE IT. OBVIOUSLY NOBODY MADE IT. SOMEBODY ON FRIDAY MADE IT LOOKING FOR QUITTING TIME, MILLER TIME OR BUD TIME OR WHATEVER TIME IT WAS. THEY WERE LOOKING FOR it AND DIDN'T CARE. I'll never forget the first new car I ever bought was a Oldsmobile 98, burgundy. I was so excited. Those velour seats and all the luxury tweaks on it. And I got into it, honey, in South Carolina, pulled the door shut and the whole door panel came off. The whole door panel came off. And it had one screw in it. I'd like to have been on the assembly line for the dude that made my car going down that day. I wouldn't call him a second mile Christian, a one screw Christian, you know, (laughs) if he was a Christian at all. Now some of you may be thinking, what's that got to do with me as a believer here on Sunday? It has a lot. Jesus taught we were to be known by our good works. Not hair buns, that's not a good work. That's not work at all, that's a style. You're not to be known by a list of rules. He said you're to be salt and light. You're supposed to be a second mile. If a man compels you to go a mile, go two. You see this isn't even preached anymore shoddiness lack of extra effort second mile thinking should never ever be less than tolerated in the mind of a christian jesus put that down in his sermon on the mount he says your righteousness should exceed that of the pharisees now you have to understand pharisees to understand what he's saying pharisees were legalists they were the all-time clock watchers payday and sundown now they would do only what was required and not one thing more or less. Jesus told us, if a man compel you a mile, go an extra mile. If a man smite you on a cheek, turn the other cheek. If a man asks for your coat, give him your cloak as well. It was giving more than you were expected to. It was going the extra mile. Are y'all listening? All right, this is Bible folks. Sorry, this is real life here where we work, it might be more significant in the last day that we live in for effect in our culture than anything else that hasn't worked, we've been doing. Giving more than you're expected to, go in the second mile. And Jesus was telling us that in life, the believer goes the second mile. And a willingness to do that causes people on church to say, they don't have to do this. Why are they doing this? It's an attention getter, real big. See, if we as Christians all operated under the Rebecca principle, which is after you do what's asked of you, do a little bit extra. The marketplace would all have as a first question on a job application, are you a Christian? Why? Because they would associate Christianity not with a hair bun, but with extra effort. And they'd want you. Talk about a witness giving maximum effort instead of minimum effort. Walking the extra mile with excellence would have employers coming to our churches to see what makes you so different. People don't do that in life. Right, but we do. I'm going to tell you something, we have changed the Christian culture so we are a Tronosaurus Rex from Jurassic Park. We are as irrelevant as an old T-bone that's been used up and laid on the parking lot out there for a month. There's no value. My aunt can't eat it. Ain't nothing on it. And we wonder what's wrong. Well, let's pray more. They don't need to pray more. Let's work harder. Let's be more relevant. I'm telling you, we got better prayers today than we've ever had at any time. We've got more teaching on prosperity than we've ever had at any time. We've got the best of everything and the lousiest church effect on a culture because we're putting it in the wrong place. It's not a fashion statement, Christianity. I used to preach in tennis shoes and blue jeans, and it was a lot more comfortable. (laughs) But there is a culture that expects you, if you're the minister, to wear black. It's interesting that in the priesthood, black was the only color not used. I'm irrelevant. This is not even a Bible color. But it's culture. And here's the sad part. You're associating culture with Christianity. Wrong. Wrong. So we've made up our own little subculture called Christianity. Well, that must be a good Christian. Oh, he listens to rock and roll. He must not be a good Christian. I listen to rock and roll. I love rock and roll. I was going to sing some, but I think I won't do it. My wife looked at me. <laughs> that made me bad or good. It's just a fact. It's just silly. So let's go the extra mile. Rather than the lazy, apathetical, get-by attitude relevant in the marketplace and church today, Jesus is telling us that quoting Scripture on a job when you're not giving maximum effort is a waste of time. Don't even tell them you're a Christian. Tell them you're Harry Krishna. If you're not going to give maximum effort, don't even witness But first, be the best you can be, plus some for your boss. Then you get a chance to witness how Christ has changed your life. And when you lead the company, when you lead the team, and when you are the top producer, no matter what area it's in, people give you the right to say what you want. They give you that right. You earn that right. When Mother Teresa came in and helped all the people that nobody wanted to touch, even the mayor of New York wouldn't interrupt her. Even the lesbians would not interrupt her when she was asked to speak why they hadn't done what she did they hadn't helped anybody and this woman was down in the dung hills with the worst off scouring of the world and serving them and meeting the need therefore she had a right to a platform to espouse her opinion and i'm telling you we want the right to have an opinion when we don't serve anybody and we don't go the extra mile and we're always looking for a discount and a markdown. it gripes me i'm sorry i'm not mad i'm passionate there's a difference i'm dispassionate about it it's like let's come up to a higher level of living That's all I'm saying. When we talk about Pentecost we think about ordinary people given power from God to do extraordinary things. But what we're talking about here is ordinary people given power by the Holy Spirit to do ordinary jobs in an extraordinary way. That's called excellence. It's going to a a job with a boss who's irritable, obnoxious, and impossible to love. But God gives us grace to love the unlovable and even make up the difference in the marketplace. So Rebecca says, not only will I give you a drink from the well, baby, I'm gonna water your 10 camels. Whoa. Not only am I gonna fix your car, but I'm gonna wash and wax it. Whoa. And I'll have it on time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't even charge you for that. Oh, oh. That's the extra mile. I was thinking of Holman Tire Company, been here longer than I've lived in San Antonio, is a Christian who ties, And I've gotten to know him over the years. I can go over here to National Tire Company and take a number and be treated like nothing, but I'll get a tire cheaper than I can buy it at Holman Tire Company, but they won't serve me. And Holman Tire will rotate those tires. I can run in there with something, a complaint on one of my tires seems slack. They'll inconvenience themselves. They'll fix it. They'll take care of it and never have charged me in 16 years. Came, got my wife. When she broke down, they don't do that, but they did it for her. Now you tell me I'm going to worry about paying $7.5 more a tire, I'm going to go over by the mall in McCullum to Holman Tire Company because he goes beyond what I asked him to do. And he's got me a loyal customer. Customer satisfaction means I'm not mad at you. That's all customer satisfaction means I'm not mad at you. That ain't loyal. Why would I go to him and even pay a few bucks more? Because he does beyond what I ask. And he hadn't been a one-time deal. He does it all the time over the years. So here I am right now pushing him. I ain't getting nothing for it. And I don't give me a free tire if I'll push you on Sunday. I'm just telling you why. He goes the extra mile. And then I find out he's a Christian. Wow, that was an even bigger wow. And he ties. That was a really wow. Now my money might be a few bucks more a tire, but it's a guy that puts out more than you asked for, and he goes into the kingdom of God. I'd much rather him get my money than national tire. After you got algae and mildew growing on you, then they uh, said, can we help you? I hope you don't give him this tape over there, but uh, I did do that. Let's apply Rebecca's extra effort principle to our lives. Number one. We are not to live our lives as legalists. The Pharisees did everything by measurement only. They were the hall of fame all-time clock punchers. They did only what they had to do, nothing more. Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Well, I put in my eight hours. The average makes sure they never give more than is expected of them. I watch people say, well, I know I'm not gonna get a lot there, so I'm not gonna give a lot there. But they don't realize they're writing the resume for their future. Always give more. When you do, it builds your future. Won't somebody take advantage of you? Of course. But God is our rewarder, and He said, look, I will bring, I'll show you in a minute, I'll bring opportunity to you. You're writing your future. It has nothing to do with your employer. It has nothing to do with that business. You always give more, and it always will come back into your life. You'll be the last one laid off. You'll be the last one they have to let go when they need to strip that fat out of their budget. I'd hate to know that I'm just average, which means I am replaceable. And can I add an adjective? Easily. You don't want to live there, folks. You want to build a little better job security than that and a little more value in your life than that, then you've got to give a man more than he asked for in order to increase that value. That's just good sense. So I want you to see that's a Bible thing, not a legalist who measure everything. Number two, you can't walk the second mile till you walk the first mile. And that simply means you have to do a thorough job with what you have. That first mile, it must be excellence before you can do an extra job with what you'll be given. If you haven't done a great job where you are, you can't do a great job where you're going. You take care of that first mile first. Number three, extra blessings come from extra effort. There's no traffic jam on the extra mile. Why? Because after the first mile, the average always exit. It's never crowded at the top. And the corporations and businesses that are succeeding today will go the extra mile. What you didn't pay for, what you didn't ask for, and they throw it in and you go, wow. And it builds loyalty and grabs your attention. Don't you like to get more than you paid for? Come on. If Christians want a discount, then I know you want more than you paid for. You don't feel you have a right to it, but when it's given, that takes you back. You get people's attention that way. So extra blessing come from extra effort. Jesus said, with the same measure you give to life, you shall receive from life. Extra effort leads to extra reward and blessing. Think about marriage. If every husband and wife lived by this Rebecca principle of walking the second mile and doing more than is required or expected, will you take this woman till death do you part? I'll try, I'll try. Holy cow. No, doing more. Divorce courts would dry up. Marriages don't fall apart because mates are doing something extra for the mate. They fall apart when we sit around on our fat rear end wanting our mate to do something extra for us. Coming up with a list of things and saying, these are my rights. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do this. I don't have to take that. And that's the scar on our society today. What are my rights? Nobody asked. What are my responsibilities? See leadership seniority may get a bigger paycheck may get a few better perks, but it also carries a heavy Responsibility you won't be the head of your home. Jack it takes more than a zipper on your pants to make you the head of your home It takes being responsible So if you won't be the head of the home and you want the last word then you have to earn that by being responsible Which means if that marriage and those children are going down you the man Right if you're not gonna be responsible, you can't be the head You know, Ed Cole, who I love so much, you know, he used to have that saying, you're a male by birth, but you're a man by choice. You have to be responsible, and there is a big difference. Almost every good thing that happens to us is when we do what is right, and we do it because God loves right. In these little moments of extra effort, we didn't have a clue anybody's watching, go the second mile. These are the three words that distinguish a highly successful person from an average person. Three little words. And then some The highly successful person does what they're expected to do and then some the highly successful marriage is one where the spouse does What he's supposed to do and then some the good student does what's required in the class and then some See it's not how little can I do? It's not responding. That's not my job. Oh, I hate that one That's not my job ever call you want something from a company or business. That's not my job. You work here That's your job it is right now i mean just irks me that means if we see a problem if you see a lost child if you see a child behaving bizarrely well, that's not my kid hey go get the kid stop him please we'll sort it out later help us if you see trash on the floor pick it up that ain't my job i pick it up i pick up trash every day I've seen trash lay on our yard for three days, which means everybody walked by and didn't pick it up. (laughs) They wait no maintenance to pick it up. Pick it up! It is our job. The CEO of Disney World was asked by a business executive. I read The Magic Kingdom, and I read that secular book, and it said, he was asked, how many people do you employ in maintenance at Disneyland? And he said, 45,000. And he said, excuse me, you mean 4,500. He said, no, 45,000. And this was... Eisner, the CEO, he says, I pick up trash. We all pick up trash. If you see it first, you pick it up. See, that's not taught in America today. That's not in church. That's not my job. Well, it is right now. We got a dissatisfied, unhappy person. Help them solve the problem. You want to increase your value in the future? Do it. But I'm trying to show you that nasty attitude. Don't let your children grow up with that attitude of just enough. Not my job, but more than enough. El Shaddai is the God we serve, the God of more than enough. He doesn't say, well, I forgave you last week. No, you'll have to wait another two weeks before I can have any more mercy on you. I can forgive you. That's enough, I don't want to spoil you. I'm not getting paid for this. Come on. See, if you live life like that, it's gonna live it back to you. And that's why you don't reap very much. So you gotta do more than enough. What would happen if all believers became second mile people you'd receive more from God, more from life, more from others than you ever thought possible. That's why people who are not givers never receive anything. I'm not surprised and I always think, I'm not sorry for you, not a believer. When a believer is stingy in life, with love, with time, with service or money, I don't never surprise they don't get anything. And they're always jealous of people who do. Always grapping, complaining and moaning cause nobody did it for them. And the reason is they didn't do anything. They didn't sow anything. They didn't serve anyway. People who never put anything into life never receive anything from life. I know the lotto's up to 77 million. Is that right? 77 million. Brother Rick, pray for me after the service. I bought four lotto tickets. Pray for me. And you know, if I win that, I'll pay off our new land out on 281 so we can get that church built. Yeah, right. Right out my wife will be done buried me and married somebody else by the time we get a dime from you If you're not already at 550 an hour minimum wage giving you won't give if you win 77 million dollars In fact, you'll probably leave your husband and leave town and leave God because I watched a documentary and watched a whole lot of women do it See that money didn't make you a witch you were a witch at five dollars and fifty cents But you were a poor witch and you couldn't leave town But that $77 million opened up what you are, and now you can do it. Money doesn't make you go bad. Money exposes what you are. And if you're a faithful steward, man, we could get four of the elders around. We'd have that money and charitable concerns. We'd have that land paid off, that building going up, and we'd be helping other men. It'd be gone. I wouldn't just sit back and pad my rear end and be comfortable because then I'm going to be destroyed. That's why God doesn't have retirement in the Bible. Without a dream, be fruitful. Multiply. A man needs something to live for. And when you retire, we don't need to put somebody in a rest home. They need to come to a church, come to a business, even if it's volunteer. And let us put you to work. Help us add up, count offerings, do stuff, post mail outs, run a computer. Do something to keep yourself alive or you just die. You shouldn't retire. You slow down, but you don't retire. It's not in the Bible. You're to be fruitful. When Rebecca watered these camels, here's an amazing thing she gave more than was expected and she received more than was expected when rebecca watered all those camels little did she know now watch it she does this as a lifestyle and so far nothing's happened to her but in this moment she hits the big time she doesn't know though oh god ten camels that's gonna take two i ain't gonna get nothing out of this but calluses I just had a facial. It's going to ruin everything. My nails, I just had my nails done. And she does that. She doesn't know those camels are carrying diamonds and gold jewelry and all gifts from a rich father-in-law that are for her. She doesn't know that. Don't shoot your camels. Ride them. (laughs) That ugly looking thing may be your gateway to a great future. You want to ride those camels all the way back to Isaac. And that those camels, although they look like the most inconvenient thing in the world, were gonna carry her to her bridegroom and marry her into the richest family on earth. And she would become, Genesis says, the mother of thousands of millions, a prophetic statement. Obviously, that's a lot of stretch marks. Thousands of millions, it has an application to the church. And so she didn't have an idea this was gonna happen when she went the extra mile, you see? And make her part of the progeny of Messiah from her seed line, wow! All for doing what everybody else considered, not my job, I ain't watering them camels, I ain't getting, how you, I'm getting nothing for it, I'm not watering those camels. Okay, I wonder how many of us have passed up opportunity when the Lord said it in front of us because it smelled bad, it was ugly, and looked awfully inconvenient, we wanted to go around it. Jesus said, every time we do a little bit extra with the right motive, you're doing a little bit extra to me. Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Let me pause. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as unto the Lord. Which means, he ain't worthy of it. But would you do it for Jesus? See, there's not a woman in here wouldn't do it for Jesus. He elevated women to queenship. He was your best friend. You don't be a Muslim woman. You got to cover up, be ugly, get treated like dirt. Man gets to dress nice and got to put you in bed sheets you got to walk behind every religion abuses the women but Jesus elevated he had to be a woman's best friend see that but the point is he says would you do it for me anything he asks us to do Paul says as unto the Lord there's no employer there's no career there's no person there's no mate worthy of this sacrifice except Jesus so he always adds as unto the Lord i mean you know that takes a little of the pain out of it no lord i'm doing this for you this guy don't pay me he don't even appreciate i'm doing it unto you that's where your reward's going to come from for what you make happen for others ephesians 6 8 says god will make happen for you i think some of you need a review class in your current employment so i run into people who say i want life to do for me but life will say that's not the way it works you give and then you receive you don't receive and then give You don't stand in front of an empty fireplace and say, give me heat. You cut wood. You lay it in there. You put kindling on it. You light the fire. Then it gives back heat and warmth. You sow, then you receive. That's a biblical principle, see? And that's why a lot of people don't enjoy their job, their mate, or their own life, because they haven't learned to give more than expected. Now, quickly, Rebecca teaches five simple lessons to us who are believers. Number one, don't despise the day of little things. Don't despise a small job. Zechariah 4, verse 10 says not to despise the day of small things. Because every big thing came out of a small thing. Each day, Rebecca went to do the same thing over and over again. Going to the well, getting water, big deal. What a boring, menial task. Don't despise it because it has a payoff. Jesus said in Luke 10 that if we are faithful in a little thing, we qualify promotion to bigger things. Everybody wants a big job, big paycheck, big position. But it's in the small job you learn the principles that will sustain you and make you effective when you get, if you get, a big job. If you don't learn to do hamburgers right at Burger King or dry a car at a local car wash with excellence, you won't do your best at anything else. You'll always cut corners and be sloppy. I see people all the time sitting on the curb of life, letting opportunities go by. They can't get the right job, the right salary, the right raise, so they just sit waiting for the right thing. And I hope you sit till your rear end becomes concrete. (laughs) Don't despise. You say, but I can't get to where I'm going. Then take the first opportunity God gives you and sow excellence into it. That's how you get where you're going to go. It'll come out of your faithfulness there. Very few people get right off the bat to the place that they want to go, but you have to start somewhere. So take that first opportunity and stay there. So don't despise the little thing God put in your hand, the little paycheck, the little job, the little bit of responsibility. Because if you're faithful with it, it'll open up big-time responsibility. If you can't handle a home group, how can you gonna handle a church of 5,000 people? If you can't be faithful there, how can you do it in something bigger? You can't. It's not going to happen. So you have to get water where you are before you're going to get water somewhere else. Be successful where you are before you can be. If you fail here, how are you going to succeed somewhere else? No, people want a success. And you won't have to send out a resume. Some workers actually refuse to learn how to do anything else in a company for fear they'll be asked to do more. That's a winning attitude. The boss will never want to know you're God. Learn everything you can about as much as you can. Make yourself invaluable. Number two, don't wait for big moments. Don't wait for the big moments. How many of you know if you watch a ball game, there's only one or three big moments in a whole game. Most of the game is a lot of little plays. Busted plays, small games for the one big moment. Don't wait for the big moment. If you're not happy with what you're doing now, you won't be happy with what you're going to do tomorrow. Happiness isn't a position in a company. Happiness is a disposition, an attitude in the mind. Well, when I get married, I'm going to be happy then. Hey, if you're not happy single, you ain't going to be happy married. The only difference is you're going to make somebody else unhappy. (laughs) You see, you got to be a whole person before you get married. There's no such thing as, this is my better half. I don't want to marry a half. I want to marry a whole. And my wife don't want a half. She wants a whole. Then you can have a successful covenant relationship. Then you don't have a high-maintenance marriage. If you're dysfunctional and I marry you, you didn't get whole because I married you. I just picked up another burden. (laughs) So I'm supposed to be happy. I was a fun person in a Volkswagen Super Beetle with no air conditioning, 200,000 miles on it. And one suit in a trailer when I left my job to go to seminary. I was still a fun, happy, jokey guy. I didn't get more fun when I got a later model car or had more suits to choose from. Money won't make you happy. That's not its job. If you're not happy where you are, you won't be happy if I give you something else because the root is deep inside you. You see, it's not external things. It won't make you more responsible, won't make you more faithful, won't change anything. You gotta become a whole person with what you have, where you are. Number three, help people, you'll always be a blessing. Help people. I think most preachers wanna help people, but they're really taught how to preach sermons instead of help people. For example, this probably wouldn't be an ace material. A lot of religious people wanna get beat up pretty badly and what's wrong in the world and what's wrong with this immoral leader, rather than practical aspects about how to live life. That's really helping people. You ought to go back and look at some of my old tapes. I preached some heavy revelation stuff because I liked it. Obviously, not many others did because it didn't help anybody i was at a level where it tantalized my mind and thinking but it didn't help the poor dude who didn't get up nice was grouchy with his wife and came out of a duty to god and didn't get anything that helped him live life and when i changed we started to grow we did a lot of other things too but i can tell you that nothing changes unless the leader changes nothing I got to change first. And every one of those big changes starts with the leader. Then it affects all the other departments and what we do. But that's really a key that I don't think I got in seminary is, am I helping somebody live life bigger and better to be hopeful and encouraged and to give you some good principles that will bring a good return in your life, whether you applaud or don't applaud? But if you'll learn this principle of giving life more than you expect to receive, you'll always be a winner in life. YOU'LL ALWAYS BE EMPLOYED, YOU'LL ALWAYS HAVE FRIENDS, YOU'LL ALWAYS BE FINDING REWARDS AND BONUSES COMING TO YOU FROM THE LORD SUPERNATURALLY IN WAYS YOU NEVER IMAGINE IF YOU LEARN THAT PRINCIPLE. NUMBER FOUR, DO YOUR BEST AND THEN SOME. YOU CHEAT GOD, YOU CHEAT YOUR EMPLOYER, YOU CHEAT YOURSELF WHEN YOU DON'T DO YOUR BEST AND THEN SOME. ALWAYS GIVE IT YOUR BEST. IF YOU DON'T HAVE TIME TO DO IT RIGHT THE FIRST TIME, WHEN WILL YOU HAVE TIME TO DO IT OVER? I hate callbacks, don't you? Well, they didn't do this. Why didn't they put, fix that? I remember sitting and I rented a house over here somewhere in Sonterra one day and we rented the house and we had to fix something. It was wired wrong. They told me the stove could blow up. The electrics was all wired backwards. We got up underneath the sink and I discovered they hadn't painted anything under there. They just painted the top, but they hadn't painted under the lips of things. Just a get by, slap job and out. I always wanted to know, I wonder who that guy is wonder where he is. He says, oh, that'll do. Just fix that. Don't tell him. Just put that there. That goes on in the building business. That goes in the housing business. Jim Williams will tell you some stories, and I can tell you some from building a house, and some of you that built one can tell me some too. Well, now, why didn't they do that? They cheated. They didn't want to go the extra mile. They just wanted a quick grab on your money with the least amount of effort and least trouble and leave town. Then they'll just argue with you over the phone and maybe hope to God you'll get impatient and just hire somebody to go fix it instead of doing it right the first time. I tell you what, you take your track and you wave it at Walmart and I'll fix your house right and give you more than you paid for and I can talk to you about Jesus Christ and you'll listen to me because I've already won your respect. And those are the people I want to fix my car. Those are the people I want to buy product from. Those are the people I like to be around because I can turn my back and walk away and never worry they won't do it right. They'll go the extra mile. They'll say, by the way, while we were under there, we noticed, can we fix that? Wouldn't you like to know that? I would. I thought, well, it was laying there. Why didn't you fix it when you was under there? You think I want another day off to get somebody to drive me across town, bring my car over here? Thank God all mechanics aren't like that. Some of them are excellent. Some of them touch it, it's done. And if there's anything wrong, they're going to tell you it's wrong. Would you like us to fix it while we got it up? We just noticed it's about to blow up. Can we (laughs) fix it? do your best and then some number five here's the last one when god opens the door go through it when your attitude's right your motive's right god opens the door go through the door and the family of rebecca says we want rebecca to stay at least 10 more days then she can go but he says now don't hinder my return the lord has made my mission successful and i want to report back immediately to my master well they said we'll call rebecca and ask her what she thinks so they call rebecca and said Are you willing to go with this man and she said yes I will go her motives were by she was a second mile person and now God opens a door for a little insignificant handmaid who just gets water and out of her second effort God has now opened a door of promotion for her life and she says I'm going I got to think some of you get too spiritual about it If it's not evil, if it doesn't violate your conscience, if it's not unscriptural, when God promotes you, go through the door. If that door is open, go through it. Walk right up to the top. That's how God promotes you. And He'll bring opportunity to you. Even if you're not appreciated where you are with extra effort, He will promote you. Because promotion comes from the Lord, and I don't believe you have to do a resume. I believe it will come. God will send somebody who notices you, likes you, and says, I wish you'd come over and talk to us. We've got a position. I think you'd be great for it, but come over and let's talk about it. It may be a door opening from the Lord to promote you, a reward for your extra effort. And when he does, go through that door. Don't make doors. Wait for the Lord to open a door, invite you through, and then say, yes, I'm going for it. And she did. And I believe God looks for people who want to exhibit excellence in the marketplace, in church, in their home, in their personal lives. People who give maximum effort so He can open doors and bless you with a ministry, a career that will give you the most influence possible for Christ. Let me close by saying mediocrity is a personal choice. It's a personal concession to less than your best. It's a personal lethargic resignation that says, I guess, good enough is good enough. And people blame their environment, their organization, other people for their haphazard, average, slipshod, lousy life. But if you don't pursue excellence, it's a personal problem, not an environment problem. Extra effort, excellence, going the second mile is a choice. And so is a bad attitude. And so is a sloppy job, a choice. You're not mediocre because of race, of talent, of low SAT scores, bad luck, or personality. We're mediocre because of choice. Jesus said, your righteousness is to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Go the second mile. Whatever someone asked, give them more than they asked for. That's the nature of our God. Psalms 36, verse 7, how excellent is thy lovingkindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. I can trust an excellent God. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, verse 1, be imitators of our Father God. And God is excellent in His works, excellent in His name, excellence in everything we do. And I think it's our greatest evangelism tool in this decade. I think it'll win more people to Christ than all the tracks you can stuff in their faces. Put yourself in a position also for God to promote you with excellence and second-mile thinking. Amen.